Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, unlike inflation, is still going up. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, Dr. Nirban Mahati. How are you, Doc? I'm very good, Captain. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm not even deflated, which is a win. Well, I'm inflating then. You're inflating. <laughs> Very good, very uh, good. Although for people, inflating is not a good idea. I haven't, I haven't inflated since my own importance. Does that count? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say it counts. <laughs> all right, good. <laughs> Mate, we've got a lot to get through, as we always do with all of our podcasts. Let's kick off. We're going to go through the inflation numbers out this week. No surprise, given the terrible, terrible opening I, I ran with. We'll talk about the Fed. We'll talk about coronavirus again, but hopefully not for too long. A bit of company news and some news for poor, long-suffering bank shareholders. I know. They are the people most at the, the, the center of your concern, Doc. Oh, they're definitely. I, I'm very concerned about bank shareholders. And of course, we will dip into the fool mailbag. Let's get going. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. The big news this week economically, it would have otherwise been the Fed, but it's hard to beat an inflation number that's actually not really an inflation number. It's actually a deflation number. Prices went down, not up. It was a record. And I saw two different numbers, either for... The, the lowest in 72 years or 89 years, depending on which set of data you believe. Either way, doesn't matter. Effectively, you know, only just in some lifetimes has the inflation number been this bad. Mm. When you've got to go back 70 plus years, it doesn't really matter exactly how far you go back. To get an inflation number that's down 1.9%. Now, for many people, they'll say, well, how can deflation be bad, right? Paying less for stuff has got to be good. Who's complaining when the price of petrol goes down or the price of groceries? Everyone's happy with that. But it kind of... Potentially, potentially, the concept of deflation, we'll get to the specifics in a minute, but the concept of deflation is something that economists really do worry about. Yeah, that's interesting, right? So it's like this, if uh, if the cost of a good, let's call it uh, XYZ, it costs a uh, hundred bucks. If I know it's gonna become 95 bucks in uh, three months time, then I think what I'll do is I'll wait for it to become 95. But then if it becomes 95 and I know that in three months it's gonna become 90, I might wait until it becomes 90. Now, that's logical, right? At, a, at an individual level, why, of course you would do that. But why does that become a problem? Well, it becomes a problem because if everybody starts doing that, then <laughs> then nobody's buying any goods and services. Like, I, I think, uh, well, okay. So, personally, I think that some of this is, is um, it's a good theory, right? Yeah. I mean, if I need something and I need right, it now, right, right. I'm going to buy it. If it's like, you mm-hmm. know, if I need, uh, if I, like, I, I wouldn't wait for, for example, for a piece of bread or for a piece <laughs> yeah, exactly. of like right. uh, a loaf of bread or cheese of milk, yeah. uh, or, you know, a carton of milk or whatever it is or meat uh, for it to reduce in price by 5% <laughs> so that I can go buy it, you know, in three months down the line right. because I need it now. But a lot of discretionary stuff may get pushed. Again, I say may because, you know, if somebody wants the new iPhone, I mean, mm. they're going to get the new iPhone whether mm. it costs more or less, right? I mean, it's, it's basically a question of, Need versus discretion <laughs> exactly. versus what is really discretion. So now, and here's why it matters, though, right? Because that's that's absolutely true, and you are dead right. The problem is, as we know, when an economy grows at two percent, we say that's great. When it declines at two percent, that's a recession. And when it declines at five percent, all hell breaks loose. Now, it, if you still buy your milk and your, and your bread and your iPhone and your gym membership and your car, that's all great. So everyone does that. But if some say, yeah, but I'm not going to go to the theme park. I'm not going to buy the new TV just yet. You don't have to put off that many purchases, right, as a society for us to turn growth into decline. And it's one of those weird things, right? You kind of think, well, 2% growth, 2% decline, they're not that different. But at, 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 a, at an individual business level, at a job level, at a wages level, these things have massive, massive knock-ons. And that's why economists are so concerned, right? Inflation of one, two, or three is okay. Minus one gets really, really messy really quickly if people believe 
it's going to continue. And that, I think, as you rightly pointed out, that's the bigger issue. It doesn't need for us to put off all of our purchases, even not even most of our purchases, just literally the marginal purchase, right? If I, instead of spending 100 bucks, spend $99 and everyone does the same, that's enough to put us into decline. And next year, if I spend 98 instead of 99, the spiral can really get itself, I won't say out of control, I don't want to be too alarmist, but that's exactly why economists are keeping a close eye on these inflation numbers. Uh, yeah, I agree. So, but but I mean, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of teasing here. So, I think it's a point of concern. I'd, I'd be concerned too because the number. I mean, the re- the reason I'm concerned is not that it is minus one point nine. The reason I'm concerned is it's is this negative number has been seen after many, 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 many. <laughs> like if you see something after decades and decades and decades, yeah, yeah. I think you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. So, I think that's the reason I would be concerned. Yeah. Um, th- there's some um, you know, if you tease the numbers, if I read this correctly, it said. Part of this is because of free child care right. available in certain uh, certain of the uh, states. You stole my thunder beautifully. Yeah, so tell uh, that story. Yeah, well, so well, the, the the federal government basically made um, uh, you know some of these um, uh, child care benefits free. Yep. Basically, they decided to pay for it given coronavirus and things like that. And I think the other move, the other thing that is moving the dial is uh, declining rents. Yeah. So these are two things. Um, the free childcare thing, uh, well, childcare is free in certain certain states and is yeah. not free in certain yeah, states. Yeah, yeah. So, and the not free is going to disappear, yeah. right? So th- uh, that's one thing. Uh, I think the uh, the declining um, um, uh, declining rent thing may continue, yeah. right? So there's there's some pressure, I think, on the inflation numbers as such. Uh, how much? Again, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Right, nice one. And I think that's that's a really good point. So yeah, the, um, I found this actually from AMP, Shane Oliver, who's a great follow on Twitter if you're on Twitter, and you should be. If you're not, we'll give you the socials later. You've got to get on board Twitter. Even Doc's there. Twitter is that good. Um, if you take out, so this, here's the funny thing, right? So you talk about childcare, Doc, and you're right. If So we, we got free childcare. The, the cost of childcare fell 95.5% during the quarter. That's a that's effectively free, right? Someone was still paying something at somewhere for, for childcare, apparently. Um, everyone else was getting it free, unfortunately not including me, um, because we don't have kids in childcare. The The interesting thing is, so so the government gave it to the childcare centres. So the consumer cost, CPI is the consumer price index, right? So our lives got cheaper because of free childcare. And it, deflation, inflation was minus 1.9%. Now, if... ScoMo and Josh had done something different and said, hey guys, here's the money to pay for the childcare you're going to get and give it to us to give to the childcare centers rather than the other way around, the CPO would have been flat. So it's a really, really fascinating and really important one, right? That's, that's, the, that's the, this, you know, at a, at, a, at a really, you know, fundamental level. This is why these things are so, so important. The headlines are interesting. Sometimes they're even useful to steal your line about models, Doc. Um, but, but when you really look at what's going, that thing was petrol, by the way, during the, during the, the quarter. And again, you kind of go, well, Oil prices were down because demand fell globally. And that, that is important, right? That is part of the deflation story. Again, though, in a different quarter, the petrol price will go back up again and all of a sudden will be inflation again. When you start to take out those super volatile measures, um, the headlines look terrible and they kind of are because it is a record. But the fact is it's terrible because the government, A, chose to do something particular with childcare and B, because petrol prices were down. In a different quarter, that number could have been plus one and we don't have a problem. So most of the economists aren't too worried, as as Shane Oliver said on Twitter. Yeah, we forecasted a couple of months ago. I'm not sure what the big deal is. It didn't stop all the headline writers, mate, because that's what they're supposed to do, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing about this, though. It's, um, um, I, I think I would not discount the number. I would basically count the number as is, largely because, I mean, we, when we look at employment numbers too, we, um, we're not adjusting for the fact that there are uh, people without jobs on JobKeeper, right? Yeah, so yeah. We, we're not 
Right. Adjusting yeah, exactly. up the, exactly. the you know, yeah. what is yeah. like a seven and a half percent number might be actually be ten and a half percent. We're not talking about so I mean you know, this is something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um and and watch is what I would say. I think I don't think the, the honestly Matt, the, the bigger draw I'm taking for both those things is trying to get any sense from the numbers specifically is not very useful right now. There's just so much exactly. noise in the data. Same with house prices, like so few houses are being sold right now. The very few that are being sold, yeah. was it called Logic even stopped doing the daily data for a while? Because it was like the sample size is so incredibly small, just it's useless, right? It could be up yeah. 20% down, 20%. Yeah. It wouldn't tell us anything yeah. until you have a sample size that's big enough, or in our case for inflation and employment, just, just some sort of normalcy in the numbers. It's really, really hard to draw anything from that, other than we all know that the big picture is the economy is weak and in trouble, and the policymakers need to do what they need to do to help us out. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we're in a basically we're in a transient phase right now, and right. we would not know. I think maybe until early next year, what the real state is yeah, and exactly. what the state is going to be going forward. That's so right. That's right. I think that's the net conclusion, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Now let's move on from from inflation slash deflation to the US, and this is again in the in the realm of um, not very surprising and one of those things, but worth just quickly commenting on the US Fed overnight. And again, we're recording this Thursday morning, so this was Wednesday night Australian time. The US Fed said they're keeping rates on hold. Surprise, surprise. And you said to me on Skype this morning, keeping it that way until at least 2022 was their intention. Yeah, well, they, well they, yeah. So they forecast their whatever they have these bunch of governors from these various <laughs> other yeah. regions, and they basically make a forecast, and they're basically forecasting that you know rates are likely to be like this until 2022. Yeah, yeah. Which in a way basically says this that federal bank <laughs> is basically saying that until 2022, right. we are in a transient mode. Um, right. So, yeah, take, you know, again, that might change, of course, with information, but that's what I think the current view is. And no one's really surprised by that either, right? We're in that situation. No. I do remain a little bit concerned, mate, that the, the world's banks and governments kind of have no ammunition left. Like, this is, this is you know, we, we can't talk about that out of the GFC, and we said this before, but I just want to reiterate it because I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm a massive optimist, super optimist relative to most people. Um, but even still, I'm just, I am a little bit concerned that with massive debts, you know, rates rates went from something higher to low during the GFC. And at some point, someone said there's no ammunition left. Now we've gone again. <laughs> I mean, at some point, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what phase three looks like if we don't get ourselves out of this and get back to some sort of normalcy before the next crisis hits. Well, I, I think, you know, the biggest ammunition that I've seen is um, the Fed's uh, intervention in sort of the bond market, yeah. right? So in the debt markets, if they're going and buying the debt, basically they have made sure that liquidity um, is always available, right? And but at some point, like the next version of that, though, they have to buy even more bonds and eventually the Fed owns every bond in the country and then we kind of just end up nationalizing I mean, it's nationalization by stealth at some point. Yeah, it's nationalization of the debt of the the troubled sectors. But it's everybody. <laughs> like, if you if you if you keep have to keep buying more and more debt to keep prices down, it's not the trouble sectors. Eventually, you have to buy Apple's debt. You have to buy, you know, the US Fed ends up buying Venezuela's debt just because they kind of have to. Australia's debt because they have to. I mean, it, it, they have to put or they, they choose to put the money in to kind of keep prices down or yields up in this case. I mean, at some point, like there is no. You know, like it, it's the other way around. So prices up, yields down. At some point, that there's nothing left to buy. I mean, when they own all the corporate debt of the crappy stuff, then again, next time we need some help, they have nowhere else to go, do they? No, yeah, well, well, we'll cross that bridge at that point. <laughs> is I guess that uh, is. That, I mean, what, there's no other solution, right? I mean, what mm. would they do? Um, would you? I mean, uh, the the alternative would be to not do anything. Yeah, yeah. and th- that would probably see unemployment levels at 20%. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, no, no. I, I'm, just, I'm not saying they should do it now. I'm saying I worry a little bit for the next way around. That's all. 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully by 2022, as they're saying, you know, they start creeping the rates back up, um, you know, maybe to 3 4% or whatever yeah, in yeah. due course. By 2025, you land up at, you know, 3%. Um, that might be an okay yeah. uh, outcome. Let's hope that's uh, let's hope we get to that point, mate. Moving on now, but staying kind of macroish. Let's quickly check in on Corona. It was nice to not start with Corona for a change, but I guess the Fed action and the inflation numbers are kind of Corona related. Um, the new news, of course, is that Queensland, the Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has uh, said to you, but not to me, uh, you can't go, but I can because I'm not officially in Greater Sydney. Although I guess now I've spent a time with you, maybe I've got to self quarantine for 14 days before I get there. I'm not sure. Um, the the Victorian outbreaks are large. We haven't seen the official numbers this morning, I don't think, but you saw some numbers. Was it an official number or, or a news report? That well, the news news reports always, they tend to be on the in the, funny, ball, uh, in the, in the, in the ballpark. Everybody knows everything <laughs> except for... Licking uh, like a sieve, yeah, baby. Yeah, like, you know, we, we don't know anything, but, but you know, news.com.au is basically reporting 700 plus new infections in Victoria. Oh, man, isn't that brutal? So... Yeah. 700 plus and so this is this is Thursday. again this is speculative news yeah <laughs> but you know that. as you say yeah. it would be unusual if it didn't happen yeah um it's tough right so uh, queensland's closing the borders to more of new south wales victoria's case count continues to be out of control ours in new south wales kind of just barely under control the numbers kind of sit in the <clears> mid to high <throat> teens <throat> daily um I'm I'm a little bit surprised. We had a bit of a chat about this before. We won't do too much on it, mate, because we're not experts and we're not scientists. Well, you are, but in a different way. Um, I'm a little bit surprised. You know, we, we the first round of clampdowns worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. You know, we went from large, large numbers of cases to single-digit numbers of cases eradicated in most of the country. Um, I I think Gladys Berejiklian and New South Wales Premier has probably some questions to answer about letting people in from Victoria that have spiked our cases here and then. Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland let people in on the way on the way through, so that you know Victoria seems to be the source of most of the new infections. But it, we we kind of got we 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 were almost almost you know the old George Bush declaring victory on the on on the ship years ago in the middle of the Iraq War. Um, we kind of were almost there, and then we've gone back at a decent rate of knots. Victoria arguably out of control, New South Wales barely under control, Queensland potentially some new hotspots they're going to have to deal with. Did did we just stop paying attention? Do we, do, you know, the social distancing seemed to work up front. Do we get lazy? Do we, you know, to whatever extent the numbers fell and then started to rise again? Is it just, is this just reality of you know back in business as, as the government likes to say? Well, as I've said many times before, I never believed, and I still don't believe that eradication in a large enough country is actually possible. Right. Right. And we're probably just large enough that you know you th- you think about it this way, right? Um, Auckland is one million people. We probably have one million people in sort of the Liverpool, Campbelltown area <laughs> yeah, in just right. Sydney alone. <laughs> yeah. It is just fundamentally yeah, yeah. not possible. Yeah, right. because you'd have you'll have some case escape, some virus escape, somebody with the you know asymptotic, uh, asymptomatic uh, uh, yeah. person. Yeah. Um, it, it is. I think you know in all the countries, even the places like you know. So I've read a report, for example, Hong Kong is now predicting that you know they had got everything under control and they're like big into masks, for example, right? right but Hong right, Kong right. is now predicting that you know they, there is a chance that their hospitals are going to be overrun. Yeah. yeah. Right. Japan had a uh, huge blow up of um, of cases again in. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is 
and the only places I've seen where this has been relatively controlled is um, is those places which have relatively low population. So um, the Atlantic provinces in Canada, for example, had zero deaths okay. and uh, no virus flare up because you know they're relatively small. I right, mean, their right, city, right. the largest cities are probably like hundred thousand people. Yeah. You and you know it, it is just the number of interactions. Right? Yeah, you right. only need and one sheer proximity. Yeah, yeah, you just need one interaction mm. or a couple of interactions yeah, for right, the virus to spread. Right, right, right. So. It, it does not surprise me at all. I think what surprises me actually is the reaction or the action is that at this point, I was a huge proponent of lockdown round one. Yeah. And I'm yeah. a huge opponent of lockdown oh, okay. round two. Okay. And the reason behind that is very simple. The lockdown round one was necessary to get to just to know what's going on. Because when you don't know what yeah, you're up okay. against, yeah. um, you need to understand it. Yeah, right now yeah. that you know what you're up against, I think you can do very targeted things, right? right? If you're expecting that you're gonna go back to zero, well, good luck. You right. could lock down for 12 weeks and, and then take all the joblessness that comes right, with it, right, all, the, right, right. all the destruction that comes with it. Yep. Well, good luck with that is, is what I, th I, I think, the, you know, that is the situation I think yeah, here. Okay. That's what I think. But anyway, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. I, I, yeah, I mean, like I, I don't, I don't have enough expertise in any of these areas to know for sure. I do feel like we might have had a better chance had we locked in a little bit longer up front. That maybe you know another fortnight of lockdown one may have changed the story. Maybe as you say, maybe it would have always been there, which would have cost more. But that, that's you know I've said before. I think on the podcast, but. Um, it's, I mean, it's a devilishly difficult area, right? And there's so much passion and, and so much kind of grief on both sides of the argument. You're almost putting your head above the parapet. It's almost dangerous. But I would say just as a general view, not not proponing one, one side or the other in this case, but you know, coronavirus policy is not health policy and health policy is not public policy. There are, there are you know, intersecting circles, of course. And of course, it's part, you know, COVID is part of health, health is part of public policy, but it's not the entire thing, right? In health policy, you've got mental health, you've got other illnesses, you've got, I was reading this right this morning, I was talking about people who hadn't presented a hospital with heart attack or cancer because they were worried about catching COVID. Um, on the other hand, you've got mental health issues, you've got the fall on, flow on effects from that. Um, and of course, you've got the economic issues, the the other stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's a multifaceted story, right? It can't just be about COVID only, it needs to be COVID part of everything else. And that might still be, you know, shut everything down for long periods of time. That's possibly the right decision, but it is a very, very difficult decision to try and make. I was just going to interject one thing, and yeah. this is this is just a side thought or data point, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some data points out that says that the actually in in the midst of COVID, mm -hmm. death related from flu is actually down. Okay. Right, and that's interesting because. Is that less spread because of the social distancing? Exactly. Right. right okay. So, so there's all these cause and effects yeah, right. that are happening, right? Uh, which makes it, right, which right. makes comparison of any data point mm -hmm. that we have now yeah, okay. with the past very, very difficult, <laughs> right? We don't, you know, are the yeah. sweet sides up or down? We don't know. There's so many factors, multiple yeah, yeah, facets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. factors. You know, you'd probably have to do a proper factor analysis yeah. to actually know right, what, <laughs> what is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's hard, isn't it? That's, and they, look, again, people know more than, more than us. Investing-wise, mate, has anything changed in your view over the last couple of weeks? Just bringing you back to what we're actually here for. Um, you know, lots going on still, lots of uncertainty, lots of fear. The market is all over the place. I do, uh, this is a shameless plug, I do the um, a bit of work with Channel 9, their late news, as well as doing Sunrise on, on Sunday mornings, but Nine's late news, I was asked a couple of nights ago, you know, the, the market goes up and down, up and down, up and down. It was down yesterday, should we expect it to be up tomorrow? And while the question was partly tongue-in-cheek and partly, you know, just a reflection of what's happened, there is something about that, right? I mean, it's been incredibly volatile. There's, There seems to be this, you know, <laughs> it reminds me of people running from one side of the ship to the other side of the ship and the ship tilting both ways, you know? Everything's okay. No, no, everything's terrible. No, no, everything's okay. And you've got this kind of, you know, cartoon characters running from side to side. Um, that, that kind of feels like how the market's responding right now. Yeah, so my, my, my take with markets is, um, 
basically a simple one. I think that you know you can you can bifurcate the market into two parts. Right. The the old guard and the new guard. Right. And the new guard has been fighting to basically take share from the old guard, and in many ways, effectively, this you know the lockdowns and all the other you know issues we had work from home and things like that has basically yeah. given the new guard tremendous speed uh tremendous um you know uh, tailwind yep. and and effectively you know a lot of the things that were going to happen slowly over time have just you know been sped up like you know if companies were thinking about digitizing and improving their IT infrastructure yeah, over a period yeah. of 5 years they've had to actually you now bring that forward mm-hmm. and do it in a period of 1 year so i think it's this is basically going to be a huge win for technology centric businesses right and it's going to be a huge win i think i i think if you think about you know winners i think those are going to be the winners those those companies those businesses that are able to innovate mm. through the crisis mm. those are going to win big time um the companies that are not going to be able to innovate are going to struggle right right right, right. i um i saw something on twitter mate the last couple of days i think it might have been this morning or last night the on the and this is a mckinsey chart i think and it's always had to do, uh, try and describe charts in audio format but effectively online penetrations online i think it was e-commerce penetration from like what i remember it being was effectively up in the last three months, the equivalent of 10 years worth of growth. So if you look at the, again, I won't try and draw the line, but effectively up, a line up and to the right anyway, since whatever the, you know, whatever the time frame was. And this is massive hookup in the last three months, which literally has added the equivalent of the last 10 years of growth in online penetration. Just, I mean, we, we can't say exactly it's just because of COVID, but let's be honest, it almost certainly is exactly just because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's a phenomenal change. Now, of course, it could go back down again. Lots of things could be different, but... That, I mean, that, you know, in terms of disruption, that is phenomenal. 10 years worth of growth in online penetration in just three months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah, and those are the type of examples I'm talking about. I think that's where, um, you know, whether it's online penetration, digitization, cloud, um, you know, telehealth, those sort of ideas right. are, um, are, are just, you know, um, g- getting the lift because and 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 i think the thing is that you know if you if you if you ask people to change their habits over a period of six months yep. to a year yep. um i think like commercial real estate i think like you know commercial real estate is going to struggle for years because yeah, right. i mean people are getting used to working from home right, and right, if you're getting right. used to working from home i mean you know um, do you need a call center <laughs> with all these people crowded in exactly like they're like you know they're right 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 you know like they're uh, some animal in a yeah. uh, in a barn right i mean that's really what happens <laughs> Right, so uh, you know that yep. you, know, you can just yep. imagine that yep. instead totally. now, and it's become completely acceptable for the uh, the call yep. center yep. operator yep. to actually have someone, you know, maybe a dog in the background or <laughs> or a child in the background, and people yeah, are yeah. very accepting yeah, of that. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right? So, I, again, I'm not, it's not about maybe it's not about me and probably my media stuff, but it is just worth mentioning that you know pre pre COVID. You know, we, we I saw live outside Sydney, about ninety minutes outside Sydney, as, as our listeners probably know, and. It's you know it's not a small hassle to go to town and back for that for a media appearance because it's a couple of minutes at a time. Love mm-hmm. doing it. Happy to happy to go and spread the word, spread foolishness, spread the brand, all that kind of stuff. Like you know, really enjoy doing it for that reason. But like at some point, it's just not worth it. Since COVID, I have done so much stuff on Skype um, from even from the big networks, right? The businesses that never ever ever in the past have accepted Skype. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you couldn't even get some of the pay TV smaller channels to, t- to do Skype in the in the past. They only do it for really specific circumstances. Now you know. Literally, I said most nights, Channel Nine, um, happy to do it on Skype remotely, just using the mobile phone. Quite literally, it's, it's mm-hmm. just a mobile phone camera um, and a, a set of headphones. It, you know, I've done radio, I've done a whole lot of stuff. That again, it's not about me, but 
when you see that change, you know, they're filming Saturday Night Live from people's homes, for goodness sake. I mean, this is, you know, there is some sense of a new world working from home, same thing, businesses that would never have contemplated and now saying, well, I guess you have to. And then it's actually, it kind of works. Then it's, I guess this is the new normal. I mean, it doesn't take that long. Trying to get people back to offices might be harder than, as you say, than, than some people think. Absolutely, yeah. Are you, so, so uh, let, me, let me throw the other side of the set, you just for the fun of it. There is a possibility that in this kind of expectation of, of you know, change, that we overdo it. You know, the flying cars still aren't here. Um, we were promised those in, you know, by the Jetsons in 1970-something. Um, you know, the, there, is some, there is some possibility that either the incumbents just adapt and still win or that the changes we see end up being reversed in, in, in small or large part. Um, you know, for every, for every bold prediction of a new normal, five six seven out of ten of them don't become new normals they things go back to back to the way they were because we're creatures of habit how do you how do you put the odds of kind of this being permanent versus if you look back in 2025 and go oh i guess four three percent of us more work from home but the rest of us still go we end up going back to offices or we end up going back on planes or we went back to shops or you know the, the stuff that we're doing now that we might want to think is is a new normal maybe it's just a temporary normal because we have to and it's got its benefits but gee we can't wait to go back and actually meet with people in an office we can't wait to go back to window shopping and have a coffee with the friends some of those things are not you know may well just actually unwind as quickly as they as they turned up yeah so like I mean okay so what, what I mean is it Absolutely, people are going to go and have coffee, and I think absolutely people are going to go for business meetings um, you know and they're going to fly for that I think that those are going to all happen right I, I think what's going to do happen is there is there'll be more of an acceptance that a lot of business can be done um, using yeah. technology, and yeah. I think that's so. Like, I think that's the that's the main I think point. Now the question of you know um, that's a different question, the valuation question as to are people paying more for these sort of businesses. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's an individual business to individual business question. It's very hard to answer generically. Right. Um, in sense. general, uh, people um, have. Um, an inability to think about exponential growth. People yeah. have an inability to think about, uh, you know, just what innovation can do. Yeah. And people have an inability to, um, again, forecast. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't have the we don't have the ability to forecast what what the future is going to actually look like. Yeah. Right. Right. So I think I think those things basically mean that often what happens is the uh, the harbingers of change. I think you you underestimate their potential for change. I think that's one. I, okay. I think, I, and the second thing, I, th I completely agree with you that there will be companies, or there are companies today who could be called the old guard who are, you know, perfect candidates for being um, able to transform themselves. Right, right, right. right. And uh, typically those will be the ones that have huge balance sheets, a lot of experience, a very strong brand, you, you know, the sort of the tech, you know, what the Buffett would call the moti companies, they actually stand a chance. Mm, I think the mm, ones that mm. don't have a moat, I think those are the ones that don't stand a chance because yeah, I mean, okay. if you don't have the balance sheet, yeah, if you yeah. don't have the brand uh, power, yeah. you don't have the strong following, you don't have an international presence, I mean, how are you yeah. going to succeed? Yeah, it's yeah. going to be hard. I look, and, and I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a negative person. I, I own shares in Kogan and Amazon, for example. I, I fully believe we will see that change. It was more just a, a present the devil's advocate position, but also, I mean, I remember so back in the, back in the old days, uh, I used to work for a food company. I was a I was an account manager, and one of my one of my accounts was Shopfast. It was the online grocery business. This was 1999, funnily enough. Uh, I think I probably told this story before. So you certainly heard it elsewhere, Doc. Um, and it was going to be the new big thing, right? And it was going to take over, and online grocery was going to be the new big. And and that was all true, except that Shopfast wasn't the winner. Shopfast kind of got smaller and then went broke. 
And now the leaders in online groceries, at least in Australia, are Woolies and Coles. And there is some sense that, you know, the, the trend and the winners from the trend aren't always the same thing or always, you know, the, sometimes the sometimes the first movers are absolutely the big dogs that end up winning. You know, Amazon has never been, never been you know, fronted in, in, you know, online grocery sales or online shopping, sorry, in general in the US. On the flip side is just shop fast here, for example, or pets.com in the US, or, you know, there's, there's others that strike a blow, MySpace to Facebook, right? Some strike a blow, prove a case, but don't end up winning the, the overall race. I think that's worth that's worth one thing. I think the other thing is, you know, again, this is a bigger deal than SARS was, absolutely. And I made the mistake of not, not thinking it would be in the early days of the coronavirus uh, outbreak. Um, but I remember vividly at the time of SARS that, you know, business travel was going to be over and people were going to use Skype and it was never going to go back to normal. And, and of course it did. And, and you know, will it happen this time? I don't know. But certainly having been through a couple of these before, the predictions of new normals sometimes absolutely come true. Other times just kind of fade away because they were nice ideas, they're just wrong. The, the, the simple reality was that, and again, this is a much bigger deal, right? I'm not suggesting there's a straight parallel, but I certainly think there's some experience to say that some of those predictions by definition will be true, some won't be. And, and even if, you know, again, Skype, we've moved on from Skype, Zoom is a whole different thing and all that sort of stuff. But at the time, Skype was going to be the death of international business travel, right? And it wasn't. And things went back to even bigger than pre-SARS. Now, maybe it never gets there for, you know, for international travel again. Maybe it does. Maybe it takes 10 years. Maybe it takes five years. But there is just, you know, having been through it before, having seen enough predictions fall by the wayside, I've just got a little bit of a, just a, not a doubt in my mind, just a, just I want to remind our listeners, um, and I'm certainly trying to work in myself, which ones of these are real and which ones of these are good ideas that, that you know, no you know, well-conceived, thoughtful, honest opinions just don't actually pan out for a million reasons. Yeah, so the only thing I'm going to add to that is I think time and when something happens is very important, yeah, right? True. So 2003, 2004, we didn't have the iPhone. Right. We didn't have 3G, 2G, right, right, 4G. Right. Today we are talking about 5G. Not enough Gs. Like right, more Gs now. Right. So <laughs> I, I, I think what happens is there's a time there's a time and space for a particular technology, yeah, yeah, right? True. Yeah. And um, if you think about uh, Skype, yeah. right, versus you compare that with say something like Zoom, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of difference. I mean, and and that difference is enabled because of technology. I mean, if you think about 2003, 2004, the type of laptops people had, mm-hmm. they were like bricks, right? Yeah, Today yeah, everything yeah. is light. So <laughs> I, I think. Internet accessibility, yeah. uh, the availability of connections anytime, the amount of you know the, right, the right, way right. you can install apps, the way you can use them. There's been subtle but very important changes along the way, yes. right? So there's yes. a time for everything, um, and, and I, I think that's you know maybe it was not the time then, yeah. but yeah. it looks like um, I'm almost certain that business travel. The, so there's companies that spend a lot on sales and marketing where well percentage of the sales uh, and marketing is spent <laughs> on uh, air yeah. travel yeah, 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 i yeah. am almost 100% certain yeah. that that budget for travel is going to yeah. shrink yeah. by yeah. how much i don't know but it's yeah, got right. it's got to shrink yeah. because if companies can get deals done today without traveling there's no reason that they're going to go back because you know it's just a waste of everybody's time right yeah. so w- why would that happen does that mean there's going to be zero no yeah We'll see. We'll see. And then, look, and that's and that's my point. I, you know, I don't have a strong view either way. I'm, I'm not. I'm not banking either of them. It's just just worth a reminder that these things tend to, you know, seem likely. You, you're, I mean, you mentioned the iPhone. I mean, the the very concept of the iPhone. You know, the whole Palm Pilot idea, the BlackBerry idea. I mean, they were only possible. And then, you know, of course, you know, jobs need to be jobs. But you know, the iPhone doesn't exist in 1991 because there simply isn't the internet to support it. You know, the, 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 as you say, the availability of the Gs, all the Gs, as many Gs as we can find. Um, I, had, I had an old Palm Pilot type thing. It was an O2 XDA that had like 
what was what was even what was it called for? Was it called two G? What was what was the it was just called mobile phone probably? Was it? Well, there's, there's a and it had this yeah, really devilishly devilishly slow tiny screen, slow loading web browser crap thing. It was awful. Um, but it's just it, the only reason I raise it is, you know, as you say, there is, the, you know, the, the circumstances have to be right for an innovation to take hold. Um, even the iPad wasn't it? Was it the Newton or the Microsoft Microsoft thing? Like, yeah, you know, my, 20, yeah. ten years earlier, just for, for weight and miniaturization and connectivity and whatever. There's just the idea can can exist, but yeah. but needs the circumstances to to become a, a real thing. Exactly, and that's that's yeah. There's a cost factor. There is uh, there's circumstances. There's right, the technology right. has to be right. It has to be producible at scale. All of those things are, uh, you know, like again, like pets.com, whatever, it's probably the right thing, but mm-hmm. it was just not mm-hmm. at the right time, right? And that I think that really matters. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate, let's, uh, let's change tack. Let's go company, what else company specific? Look at industry specific, we'll get to companies in a minute. The biggest news I reckon this week for the share market as a whole, you know, I guess I'm thinking about the, the indices and, and the market caps and the breadth of ownerships and stuff, was the news about the big four banks. Now, in the past, APRA had put the foot on the throat, said, don't you guys dare pay any dividends <laughs> or there'll be trouble. And the banks are pretty good. APRA, you know what? I really like APRA as a regulator, mate. In terms of they've been very good at wielding the big stick, you know, or sorry, the, the old, you know, um, speak quietly and carry a big stick, right? They spoke quietly said, look, we reckon you guys should be a little bit careful just to make sure you maintain your capital levels at the moment, right? And which was a very softly, softly approach. The banks knew, and to mix my metaphors, that was the old iron fist in a velvet glove. You know, just, just, just be careful, guys. Um, they read that. The banks read that very clearly. They read it very well, and they said, oh, "We better just do the right thing here." Um, so they did that. APRA came out this week, the Prudential Regulatory Authority, and said, "Okay, now you can pay dividends, but we only want you to pay up to fifty percent of your earnings in dividends." And that's not an unreasonable number in anyone's language. I'm not entirely sure I would have done it yet. But that's a different question. The first one let's go to though is 50% of earnings is not bad for most companies. For the banks, that's almost an exact half, <laughs> halving of their of their previous dividend policy, right? They paid it almost everything, sometimes more than everything they earned in, in dividends. So it's not a, you know, again, it's it's a it's a positive that they're going to start paying dividends. So that's, that's a tick, but they're not yet and maybe never get back to the levels that bank shareholders were used to. Yeah, so um, well, uh, I think the it's a good policy because there's there's a psychological issue here. All all the people holding the shares, including like institutions and individuals, mm-hmm. right? They hold those shares because they want the dividend, yep. right? And I think um, the regulator here is also thinking that if the, if there is a capital raise to be done, and if these banks have been told that your dividend is zero, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> going to be buying these shares. Yeah, yeah. So or. Well, let me put it this way: People will buy the shares, but at a much reduced price. <laughs> right. So, I think this is a rock and a hard place solution. Yeah, so right, you basically right. say, "Well, you know what you do? You can pay some dividend, yep. uh, and that hopefully wouldn't cater your share price, <laughs> and hopefully you'll be able to raise some capital." Um, so, I, I think it's a very prudent. I, as I said, you know, in our group discussion, I thought you know it's a very prudent thing. Um, I would caveat that, but you know, one of the things I really detest is I would. I would say that if you need to raise capital mm. in that particular round, you do not pay dividend because any company okay. that's doing that is basically just it, it is just you know doing um, you know taking money with one hand, giving it to some other people. Um, just pay. My, I think a fifty percent policy is is just right. Um, so just let's just stop there because you, you you raised a good point. I just want to just expand that a little bit. So at the moment and for a very for a long long time, the banks have been. You know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. They've they've, they've paid a dividend in one hand, 
but they've had this, what they call an underwritten dividend reinvestment plan. In other words, if you say to the bank, look, don't give me the cash, I'll take shares instead. The bank has effectively sold those shares anyway to somebody else and raised capital the same way. So, you know, the cash kind of gets, it goes out, comes back. It's, it, you know, they still, as you say, raise money with one hand, pay it with the other. It's a long-standing practice. Um, so you raise, a, you raise a very important point. If your business is doing that, you've got to wonder about what's actually going on. It is a bit of shareholder management, I think, at some level, right? Like shareholders just want the money and banks saying, well, okay, we can give it to you, you've got to raise money over here. There is a bit of a Faustian devil, the bank, the, the deal, the, the banks have done it. None of the shareholders are actually unhappy about it. The people prepared to buy the shares at a cheap price are happy to buy them. Those getting the dividends are happy to get them. Um, you know, is it, is it really something APRA should be involved in? If, if everyone's, if it's all consenting adult stuff, is this, you know, is, is it something that we really should be saying you you may you must not do? Yeah, so it's equivalent. So, so the, in the US, they have regulated that the banks can't do buybacks, right? It's yeah. very similar to that, right? I mean, it's effectively, uh, effectively printing, like, so the DRPs, you're talking about the DRPs, really. Yeah. Yeah. So the DRPs, so the dividend investment plans where the banks yeah. are basically printing new shares, right? Yeah. So every, like, you think about it this way, right? You extend this phenomena forward. Every time you print new shares, you create yeah. new shareholders. Yep. Those shareholders now expect, or those new shares expect dividends, yeah. right? And you need to pay those dividends, but you actually do not have enough money to pay dividends or you, your capital buffers are therefore depleted. Right. And what you're really doing is, you know, it's like a not win-win scenario, right? Mm. If I think if you don't have the money, to pay a dividend, you don't pay that dividend. But is that a good corporate policy or should that be the rule? I think that should be like in this particular circumstance, mm. because given that the the regulator is involved, yep. if the regulator can say that you can pay a dividend up to that percentage point, right? I think regulator should also say that you can't print new shares okay, at but this for the, particular but for the fun time. of it, right? If I can pay fifty dollars of dividends, or I can pay sixty and raise ten, the, my cash position doesn't change. Why? Why should the regulator again just be average advocate? I think it's bad policy personally. I think it's bad practice. Uh, I don't know necessarily rule against it, but I agree with your broad point. But if I can if I can pay fifty and raise nothing, or or pay sixty and raise ten. I'm kind of no worse off as an institution. The the the, the capital position is no different. The, the cash position is no different. I'm I'm still I'm doing the same thing, just with a different way. If, if I'm if, if that's what people want, why shouldn't I give it to them? Yeah, because if you need to raise ten, just pay forty. Keep the ten that you already got. But why? why but why shouldn't I just do both? Like it's the same cash outcome, right? Like I agree with it's bad. Well, you're diluting. Bad you're a diluting everyone, right. right? I mean, you're basically creating dilution. I mean, this is this but is that's, that's up to the shareholders of the bank to decide whether they want it, right? Yeah, is that APRA's I mean, role to yeah, be saying if, you may not do it? Yeah, but if you're basically cre- well, ultimately there's a backstop mechanism that's working here, right? I mean, if if um, if the, you know the whole reason the shares are priced the way they are is that there's this belief that these banks cannot go broke, yeah, right. Well, then somebody, which is effectively taxpayers, yep. are are acting as, you know, and why should taxpayers be taking the burden for the shareholders? They shouldn't be. There's just no logic yeah. in that. So, I mean, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I think it's just, it's bad governance. And if we we think that the capital buffers need to be preserved, yep. if the capital buffers need to be preserved, if you yep. really want them to have the capital buffer to absorb uh, losses, yeah. It seems silly that you know you're doing this. You know, uh, I agree. It's silly. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're we're in furious agreement on that bit. It was yeah. more just a question of you know what's what's rule making and what's what's policy, what's bad practice. If I was a bank shareholder, I'd be saying, guys, this is this is this is ridiculous. What are you doing? On the other hand, though, if, if all the bank shareholders as a group say, no, we're cool with that. 
I'm not entirely sure there's one for the regulator. Um, what it's it's like basically saying if if people are stupid, we don't tell them that it's like you know <laughs> you're doing something that's completely like you know stupid. Like uh, that's basically what it there's is. Lot of, there's a lot of things. I, there's a lot of stupidity I'd stop before I worry about bank shit. Well, but, you know, but I mean, th- this is like this is like you know. Uh, um, uh, I just think it's just completely. I mean, if any company does this, their yeah. should share should be knocked down twenty right, percent right, right. right away because I mean, what you're really doing is like you know you've no clue. This is poor capital management. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, a- anyways, I-, I think I think it's when messy. the bank can, <laughs> when the regulator can yeah. say yeah. Um, that, you know, I'm happy for you to draw down on your capital buffers because yeah. that's exactly what they're for. Yep. But I want you to be prudent with your dividend policy. I yes. think the bank can also say that, guys, if you need to, you know, raise more money yeah. for whatever reason, then. Start by not paying the dividend that time or reducing your dividend. Right now, I'm gonna I'm gonna just touch something else you raised, and we'll move on. But the I, I think I think you, you mentioned the whole banks being backstopped by the government thing, right? I actually think that's one of the biggest fictions in corporate Australia today because the banks' customers will be backstopped by the government. The bank's shareholders are almost certainly to be wiped out if if a backstop is required. If you look at Northern Rock or Lloyd's in in the UK, you look at AIG, the insurer in in the US. Um, your governments these days are much smarter than they used to be. And in the old days, they might have said, here's a couple of billion dollars, get yourselves out of trouble. These days, and I don't know what government would do given those circumstances, but I'm very sure the depositors are backstopped 100%. I am relatively sure there is zero backstopping for the shareholders. And so, you know, the UK government owned at some point 90 plus percent of Lloyd's. In other words, every every share was diluted 10 for one. So you've got to end up with a 10th of your previous ownership. Uh, because the government had to put some money in. And I think that's, if you're a bank shareholder listening to this and you think there is some sort of government guarantee the banks, that the government will look after the banks, I think you are desperately, desperately misinformed. The government will look after the bank's customers, but guess what? If you're the owner, you're going to uh, have to kick the can and in a very, very, very big way if push comes to shove. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. So if, if you know, there's a, you know, cl- if the if the bad debts start to climb and the yep. bank's capitals are no longer adequate, yep. I'm sure the government will put in capital the, and the government will buy the shares of, you know, whatever CBAs, maybe $70. Yep. Government will happily buy the shares back of CBA at $10, Correct. right? And, and that's, and that <laughs> and, maybe, and that's yeah. what they would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. As, as a taxpayer, that is exactly what I would expect the government to do. And, and if you think the government's not going to, by the way, not you personally, Doc, but if, if our listeners think government's not going to say, well, I'll give you 10, it's currently at 70, they wouldn't do that. What would happen is CBA shares would fall from 70 hmm. to 50 to 30 to 20 to 15, and eventually the, the CEO knocks on the government's door and says, guys, you're going to have to throw us some money here or we're going to go broke. And hmm. that's what that, that's what they do gets done at 10, right? The government should absolutely try and buy these things at cents on the dollar because, as you say, Doc, as a taxpayer, that's what they should do. The reality is going to be they're not going to be buying it at one seventh of the of the of yesterday's price. They'll be buying it at you know two thirds of yesterday's price because yesterday's yeah. price will fall from seventy to fifteen really really fast if the market realizes that a bank is in trouble. Yeah, exactly. And then the and then and then and then the government will which owns the shares are going to sell it back to the market yeah. <laughs> when the shares forty are, bucks when, when it's fifty bucks. Yeah, and and that's exactly what you would expect. The that's tax, what they should but, do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's as, as a taxpayer, as a good public policy, that's exactly what a government yeah. should do. They're taking the risk. They should be paid for taking the risk. Yeah, absolutely. And we well. We as taxpayers should be paid for taking the risk. All right. <coughs> Speaking of risk, mate, I, I, if I said to you, what gross margin do you think Rio Tinto is earning at the moment? What would you say? Do you have a do you have a do you have a speculation? Could you could you throw me an idea? So gross margin. Gross margin. So the, the, the cogs the, removing the cogs. Yes. Yeah, so sale price of the product. Yeah. Uh, how much of that do they get to keep? Uh, just just pure cost of goods. So they take a ton of iron ore out of the ground. They sell it. What percentage of the sale price do they keep as profit? Do you reckon at the moment? 
So, okay, this is, I'm going to have a take a guess, but I also know that Rio Tinto has really good cost base. <laughs> yes. Um, well done. And I'm not trying to make you silly, or this is just a fascinating um, number. Yeah, but this, well, I'm, I'm happy to be silly in front of people. That's okay. Um, it's Better occasionally good to be silly. Um, I'd say 50%. Keep going. Up? Keep going up. 70%? Keep going. 80%? 82%. Cross margin. So Rio Tinto reported earnings on... Uh, this is better than Apple. Yeah. They were, so Rio Tinto <laughs> reported earnings on Wednesday night after the market closed. So we recorded this before the market opens. Actually, it's just open now, but we won't bother checking the price. Well, feel free to if you want, Doc. Um, they reported... Now, Now, so profit was down, underlying by about 4%. The cost of their iron ore, the average cost of getting out of the ground is about $16 a tonne. The average or current iron ore price is 100 bucks a ton and their current sale price during the period was $85. They kept 70 out of every $85 as gross profit during the last financial year. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal amount of money to keep. You know, again, you, as you say, Doc, these 80% gross margins are supposed to be software companies. They're supposed to be businesses that have some sort of capital light branded benefit not a not a massively massively capital heavy you know brandless mining behemoth. It is just a phenomenal phenomenal set of numbers. Now, on the first side, I think it'll last. So I'm not going to suggest anybody takes that and goes and buys some shares. Isn't that a spectacular set of numbers? That is spectacular. Actually, I would have never guessed that a miner can have. <laughs> so what's the operating margin like of this thing? It's like what twenty percent, twenty five percent right I, now. I haven't actually checked, Matt. To be fair, I'm, we don't spend a lot of time on miners. So I did. I, and the numbers just, came yesterday. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's like and just that, yeah. that were the reported numbers, and I just thought, man, that's that's a yeah. Look, to, to your point, mate. There there are huge amounts of R and D costs, huge capital costs. I'm not suggesting these are worth investing because of that, but what I guess what I wanted to, to highlight a is the fact that the, the numbers were staggering, and that's just worth commenting on in itself. Second is that I, if I'm a betting man. If you have 80% margins, you're either Apple and you have a phenomenal supply chain brand, customer loyalty, you know, uh, innovation, all that kind of stuff. If you get an 80% margin and all you do is dig stuff out of the ground, you want to be very, very, very careful that you don't, as a shareholder, assume that'll continue forever. Because I've got to say, if you can take iron out of the ground at 15, someone else could do it at 20, someone else could do it at 40, someone else could do it at 55. If they're selling for 85 or 100, they're still making money. Margins like these will always invite competition to the extent it's possible. Now, Rio, BHP, Vale, Fortescue, they have the advantage of scale. No one can get close to them on cost. But that just protects their market leadership position when prices come down. If prices come down to 40, maybe they put a few people out of business. These guys can keep producing because it's still, you know, they're still making 20 bucks a ton on on the stuff they're getting out of the ground. Um, I, look, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I have to say one of those things, if I see margins like this, I either think, wow, I want to buy that business or man, these guys are in for some potential pain if and when the market corrects. And this is one, something a commodity product where the market should rationalize reasonably soon, surely. But but here's the thing though, like I mean, I, I don't want to defend Rio, but if, if the cost price for digging stuff out yep. for these fantastic mines is 15 bucks, yep. Yeah, I mean, they they are you know they would be just fine. Oh yeah, I'll and be fine. And and their competition is going to yeah. go broke. Yes. So I mean, so the, so <laughs> yeah, so basically, right. if the if the iron ore price fell to like forty bucks, yeah, Rio would be fine. Yeah, yeah, right. And the other guys are going to basically go broke. Oh, f- f- fine, absolutely. But if their profit falls by half because of, during that period, and you're buying yeah. shares on a, on some sort of PE or some sort of earnings yeah, margin, yeah. if their if their earnings fall, you just want to be mindful that you're yeah. buying at a price that allows that fall. To happen without wiping you out as a shirt. Not wiping you out, that's a bad way to put it. But you know, yeah. realistically, if all else being equal, if a company's profits halve and stay low, you should expect the share price to roughly halve or something like that. And so mm-hmm. if you're buying at the current price, you hold at current prices, that's my that's just my, you know, kind of key, key I agree, question. I agree with that. 
Phenomenal. Anyway, Phenomenal. All right. Uh, mate, so speaking of the other one I want to talk about, and we kind of touched on this earlier, so we won't spend too long on this one, is Temple and Webster, the online furniture retailer. Um, I've got to say, speaking of, speaking of time for things to be happening and all that kind of stuff, Doc, and you, you know, you're, the, you're the futurist among us, um, I have to say I, 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 could, I couldn't imagine a time. So when I've, I've owned Harvey Norman shares years and years ago, and one of the things was, look, okay, people will buy music online, they'll buy CDs online, they'll buy TVs online, they'll buy fridges online. Who is going to buy a sofa or a bit of furniture, like you know, fashion furniture, the stuff you're going to sit on, needs to be comfortable, needs to look good in your house, you need to measure it up, know what it is. No one surely... Is going to buy furniture online, and then along comes Temple and Webster. They grew sales at seventy four percent year on year from a not massive base. These guys aren't the, the online behemoth just yet, but these guys here, Wayfair in the US, they're, they're proving me wrong in in big big ways. Uh, before I was going to, I was going to say I was just looking at the chart of Temple and Webster. Yeah, um, good or bad? Oh, it's, it's <laughs> well. It would you'd probably drop off your chair, so hold your chair, hold your <laughs> like chair I'm tight. Sitting. All right, all right. Uh, Shares were exactly two cents. Two cents. Right. That's not much. 2016. Okay. So, so fast forward four years from two cents to... $7.88 oh. right now. If somebody... <laughs> this company probably was about to not, go... Why are we not telling me to buy those shares in 2016? Somebody, probably this company was about to go broke. I don't know. Like I'm, Again, and maybe this data is wrong. Uh, no, no, I'm but sure for right. all of 2016, 17... The shares were below like a dollar. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. For until about 2018. Yeah. Mid 2018. So, wow, what a story. <laughs> now, I, I we, this is a recommendation of ours for full disclosure. I don't own any myself. Does the full own any shares we want? In some, I think, one of our portfolios. Probably in some portfolios. So, portfolio, full disclosure, yeah. that's, that's where we're at. Um, honestly, you know, people who think we care about that stuff, seriously, <laughs> we couldn't care less. Um, not that we don't care about the company's money, but whatever we say today is not going to make any difference, but we will disclose it for, for appropriateness. We don't own any Rio, put it that way. Um, you know what's so this one and Kogan made are the same kind of story and I think look COVID is a huge impact so it's hard to really strip out business as usual versus the COVID impact mm-hmm. but if you go back even six months and you look at the businesses both of these companies have done something really interesting they've gone from effectively lost to profit and all of a sudden the operating leverage starts to work for them this is one of those situations where I didn't know it in 2016 unfortunately I wish I had I'd be happily uh, crying about it now but it's one of those situations where it really does matter um how you think about a company. Now, plenty of companies go from loss to loss and then to more losses and more losses and then they go broke, right? So I'm not saying buy loss-making companies. What I am saying is think about the way the business models of these types of business or any type of business moves forward. Zero is another classic example. Um, you know, they make a loss, make a loss, make a loss, make a loss. But if you can see the underlying economics, when they go from loss to profit or even when that lot, that small profit becomes slightly larger, you know, Kogan did something like, and I'm making these numbers up, but work with me. They grew sales by like 10% or 20% and profit doubled. Right, because the operating leverage starts to really work. It, it you know, you cross that that inflection point, and then things start to rain. It starts to rain cash. And again, easy in hindsight to say that. I will say we both picked Kogan a couple of years ago, so we were on record at least for that one. Um, Temple and Webster, we have got in, in one of our portfolios at least maybe a couple of services. Um, so you know, we, we did we have got our money with our math is to some degree. Um, and I'm not I'm not taking a victory lap at all. I'm just making the point for those listeners who are looking at these businesses. Um, Businesses that you can see a path to profitability and you can see a path to higher margins over time as operating leverage starts to work, it's just, it's just worth highlighting that right now. Just Temple Webster is a good example. Kogan's another. Uh, Zero is another. Doc, have you got any others you want to kind of throw out there as examples? I don't know if any come to mind. I'll put you on the spot. Oh, no, I think those, those, those three are, are, 
are great, good examples of business models, you know, taking full advantage of the online and very consumer facing, right? That's yeah, true. Yeah, so I mean, true. I think those are the three really good ones. So yeah, pl- and plenty of other options, but just it's worth, as you think about your investors, you know, we were asked last week, we looked before, mate, about how do we look for companies that do well, or how do we screen, how do we find great businesses? One of the things, um, Vocus actually was another one, mate, back in the day, Vocus Communications, mm-hmm. spent a fortune laying cables, no customers, no customers, spend, 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 everything's terrible. And then once the, the cable laying is done, you bring in your first customer, then your second, then your third. The cost of adding customers is almost nothing and profit goes through the roof. And so um, it, as an investor, just it's a, it's a riskier part of, the, part of the market, riskier than buying you know, something that's already making profit at really solid, reliable businesses. But if you get it right or if you buy enough of them that the odds work in your favor, it can be a really fruitful way to buy stocks. Mm-hmm. Agree. Oh, we've got time for a question. Okay. Should we dip into the mailbag? Let's do it. Beautiful. Couple, couple of questions. Man. Not sure how we going for time. And just one, I reckon. We'll okay, how about we come back on Sunday? Oh, that's not the new news. <laughs> it's you, fun you, though. You, ha- you have to come up with something new. All right. Question from Michael. Hi, Scott and Doc. Listening to the Sunday mailbag like I do every Sunday. This is on a different player as it's still not coming through via Apple and loving it as always. Now I'm going to stop at this point um, just because it's worth uh, stopping. Um, we have spoken to the guys at Podcast One and Triple M. They are speaking with Apple and hopefully we'll have this resolved. We don't yet know why it's a problem. We have been able to replicate the problem the techies have. So that's a good start. Um, and the reason I'm asking this question today rather than Sunday is because we want to remind you if you're not seeing those episodes, um, happy, more than happy for you to keep you as Apple Podcasts. You may have to jump on something else for Sunday mailbags until we get it fixed. We don't know whether it's our fault, their fault, just something falling in the gap. So when we have a solution, we will absolutely let you know on a Friday podcast because you know everyone's getting those ones. Keep up the great work and amusing banter. We'll do our best, Michael. Question, Avita Healthcare. I bought just a few days before the suspension and listing in the US. Now, these stocks went from being Australian listed to being US listed with a, a chest depository interest, effectively a, a proportional interest back in Australia. So it kind of didn't, lots of change for no change or not a lot of change. But anyway, he says, uh, and the shares being recut 20 to one, which is what happened when we had the CDIs. All that was good. But Avita's dropped something like 30% since, with no announcements that seems to be driving the fall. I'm seeking your thoughts about why the stock seems to be bombing despite any announcement driving it. Is it purely because of the translated listing in the US that it has happened? Thanks so much, Michael. Now, Doc, I don't follow Avita particularly closely. I know the story. We've talked about it, I think, before. Mm-hmm. The company stopped listing its primary listing in Australia, but its primary listing overseas. Still lets us have a you know a way to bite the cherries over those CDIs. But share prices fall. Most companies would say that listing in the US already increased the share price. What's going on with Avita? Yeah, so Avita is uh, is a recommendation at, at extreme opportunities. I think we also own the the full holds the share in maybe in some portfolio. I'm not okay. sure which one, uh, but it's it's likely in some portfolio. Cool. Um, so we own the shares. Um, look, here's the thing, right? Um, the shares are down, um, but I think one of the things that people need to realize with this with sort of a biotech is shares. Mm bounce around a lot right okay. so i mean the, and the reason behind that is very simple um avita has got small number small amount of sales mm-hmm. right it's a, like in you know and what is the right valuation for this yeah. people have different views on it on different days and the val- you know <laughs> the, and the actual range right. of valuation for this thing is pretty wide right and and the and and w- and because the range of outcomes is wide, or because people yeah, the range of outcomes. Like okay. I mean, you know, the, so they have a very cool technology developed here in Australia at in Perth, uh, first used on um, um, the, the Bali bombing victims. I love um, this company. 
Yes, it's a great story, right? It's a, it's it's a, a spray on skin? Yeah, it's a spray on skin. Right. So, yeah, I mean, again, I don't want to get too much into it, but, uh, you know, yeah. so the basic idea is that you take a little bit of skin cells um, and you, you basically create like a culture and then it's like you spray it onto the... <laughs> onto, so, you know, cool. so you think about this. Yeah. A credit card card <laughs> sized yeah. sample yeah. is enough to actually recreate the entire back. Wow. So they right. take like a credit card size off on a thigh or something. Normally, is that yeah, like but I put mean, it, if you put it in a lab and then bring it back and and spray your skin it to cover your back and you just spray Isn't it, that right? Cool? I this love is, that. This is this is actually a technology developed right here in Australia in Perth, um, um, and, and the name of the doctor actually skips me. It was developed Fiona Wood. From Fiona Wood, yes, in in uh, in in a, in a Perth hospital, it, and this is basically being commercial. This is the technology that's being commercialized. Um, so cool. by by Avita. And they basically decided that you know they're going to focus on the U.S. market, that being the largest Burns market yep. in the world, and uh, and they decided that that listing is now like I would say that there are a wide range of outcomes, largely because whether or not you can get people to give up traditional techniques that the people use because the nice. techniques are you know like i mean if, if you're a, if you're a born specialist you have learned something you apply something your whole department is applying it in a certain way it takes a long time to educate people and yeah, to change right. people's approaches yep. right but if this becomes the standard of care yep. then this has got a long runway uh in front of it right and then there's the u.s and there's J- japanese market there's the australian market there's the european market so if you become the standard of care there's going to be a winner if not the other yep. thing i'll point out is again like you know we we're talking about temple and webster right the shares were really 50 cents um not too long ago right, like in right. 2018 the shares were like less than a dollar okay. the shares went from there to like 15 bucks in okay. this in in or after the split adjusted pricing right. whatever we are talking about or not a split but reverse reverse split adjusted <laughs> pricing because of this the, the way the, the cdis yes, work the right yep. um <laughs> and and now they're down to six right so i mean right. if you bought at 15 yeah Yes, you're down a lot. If you bought at one dollar, you're not. It's it's a relative yeah, thing. Fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah and, exactly. and the shares are going to be volatile. I think yeah. the shares have taken off lately, largely because of what's happening. In you know, they've had reported some good numbers out <laughs> uh, out from the states. They're doing some um, further trials right. and getting approval uh, for expanding the use case. Right. So again, just got to be patient with this thing. Never allocate too much to sort of small biotechs. And uh, you know, you actually want to add on success, where where success is not price, share price success, but success is business success. Yeah, right. So if they if they continue hitting, you know, high growth numbers, getting more hospitals to use their case, then that's when you want to add. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. So almost certainly not because of the dual listing, just because these things are volatile and there's such a wide range of outcomes that it kind of depends on the. I, I mean, we've always said. That, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> you're not you're not a Ben Graham fan necessarily, mate. Warren Buffett's mentor, but he said very very long time ago. Then the short run. Share prices are just you know, the share market is a voting machine, right? So it's sentiment driven, and in a company with with hard to imagine long term fundamentals, or it's hard to, hard to kind of forecast long term fundamentals. In the short term, it's largely just it is sentiment that drives the share price. In the long run, it will be the business performance that determines whether we make or lose money from here. Yeah, and and you know, like there might be something about this moving the listing, right? There might be mm. some funds, for example, that right. have decided yep. to sell. Um, Maybe some people are expecting the shares are going to go up because it has moved to the U.S., right? <laughs> One of the things people need to realize is that a company that's of the size of a billion dollars or less is a really tiny company yeah. in the yeah. U.S. market, right? It's almost a micro cap in the uh, it's, under 500 million micro cap or something. It's a here micro it's, cap or something, right? <laughs> here's so, an ASX 200 company. Yeah, here's an ASX 200 company. So that, has, <laughs> that itself yeah. has dynamics in terms of who is buying the shares or not. So the, all of those things, again, if the fundamentals work yeah. out, yeah. you know. Right. 
It'll look after itself. It'll look after itself. I mean, they may well. I, that's a, I hadn't actually thought about that, mate. But we may have moved from a. Well, they may have moved from a high conviction market to a low conviction market, where exactly. you know, given given the available options here, everyone's like, well, Avita's one of the best of the of a of a of a decent bunch. So we'll jump in there. In the US, there's a whole lot of biotech investors going, well, I could, but I could invest in a COVID treatment solution or I could yeah. invest in a million other options. So, you know, dollar for dollar, that, it actually might have been negative for the share price in the short term. Yeah, like, I mean, it, 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 exactly. Like, I mean, you know, it, the number of people fishing in that pond is significantly smaller, right. as you said, right? And and the, the number of options is are significantly larger, yeah. right? But all of that said, I think... They might be able to tap into, for example, I think the reasons would be that they might be able to tap into things like VC funding. Yeah. Um, if you want to get raise capital, Makes sense. and there, there are a lot of biotech VC, like specialist biotech funders available, VC houses that might be able to, you know, yeah. buy into the shares and things like that. And if they execute, then things will be fine. Very good. So let's. Uh uh, and look, honestly, mate, if, if they were shares were 15, now they're six, and the long-term future is just as bright, you're getting shares for a decent, decent uh, discount. Yeah, exactly. that's true. Like, as I said, I think n- nobody should have, like, oh, I shouldn't say nobody, but depending upon your risk appetite. <laughs> like, Almost nobody. Uh, <laughs> depending upon your risk appetite. Like, if like you know, if I was buying this share, I would not have, you know, I would not allocate more than 1% of my yeah. portfolio. Like, that's how nice. I would, I look at a, something, a company like Avita. It's, it's like a flyer. In the sense, it's a great technology, yeah. fantastic technology. We all know the technology works, but there is a difference between technology working yep. and the market accepting it as the solution and it becoming the standard. That's a huge difference. Yeah. You might have the best thing since sliced bread, but if nobody wants to accept <laughs> that's it, right. well, it's the best thing since sliced bread that nobody's accepting it. <laughs> exactly. So that's the reality. Um, so realizing that, I would just you know, I'd say small allocation if it's a winner. Uh, it'll, even a small allocation will do the trick. That sounds like a very, very good idea to me. Mate, we're running out of time. We are going to come back on Sunday, though, so no dramas. Look, if you have enjoyed and you want to put us some questions or some thoughts for the mailbag editions or for our regular Friday editions, feel free to do that. Now, you can get in touch with us on email, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au. If you're someone who likes email, if you're happy to jump on the socials, the cool kids these days, we saw uh, Zuck in uh, giving evidence to to one of the US uh, House of Parliament uh, overnight, our time. So, you know, it's all in the news. If you, if you want to be cool like Zuck, uh, jump on Facebook. You can go to The Motley Fool Australia is our corporate Facebook account or I'm at Scott Phillips Money. Doc is not yet on Facebook or maybe one day. Uh, Instagram, similarly, Doc is not there. We'll get to Doc in a minute. We'll, we'll have the best for last. Um, if you're on Instagram, at The Motley Fool AU or at TMF Scott P is my handle. And Twitter, where Doc does reside and is a wonderful presence. Been tweeting overnight, mate. Some good stuff about bank dividends and other things. Um, jump on Twitter at Anirban Mahanti is Doc's Twitter handle. I'm at TMF Scott P. And The Motley Fool is at The Motley Fool AU. So pretty, it's pretty straightforward there. And speaking of Doc, if you want to get more from him, and I think you probably want to, for a very, very cheap price, as I say every week, seriously, if you haven't yet joined Extreme Opportunities, what are you waiting for? Stupidly cheap. Go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. Join Doc and Kevin at Extreme Opportunities. Look for the next stop picks they buy now. Past performance is no guarantee, mate, but I'm looking at the scorecard now. And as we look at this on Thursday morning, your average return for the recommendation since June 2017 is 25%. The market's average return is 6%. So you're about 4xing the market's average return, which I would say, well, again, past performance is no guarantee, et cetera, et cetera. That's a pretty good excuse. When you think about the price you're paying for that sort of outperformance, seriously, I am going to talk to Bruce about putting the price up. So before I do that, 
jump into fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast and get some of Doc and Kevin's goodness because I reckon you'll be pretty happy with that. Can you ask the price to go up by 4x? Uh, you're the one who's saying to our listeners that you want them to pay more than four times the price. So just... Um, well, you, know. you, you, said, you, just, you just said did some maths which said 4x. I'm just saying the price goes up by 4x. That's it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll that's, see. That's it. Yeah. All right. I'll leave it up to you. <laughs> And do make sure you have subscribed to this podcast through iTunes, maybe something else if you want the Sunday Mailbag where we get that fixed, your favorite Android podcast app, or, of course, the Podcast One app. We're part of the Podcast One family. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating on one of those apps, iTunes, anything else. Five stars would be lovely. Leave us a nice review. If you've got a terrible thing to say about us, tell someone else. Don't tell us because, you know, we're people. We have feelings too. All right. And, of course, you can get a dose of foolishness and an offer for dividend investor, one of our other services, by going to fool.com.au forward slash... Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back Sunday with a special mailbag edition of Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.